Anybody here just a little different? Anybody here a little special? Let's go another one. <laughs> Mike said, yeah, I'm special. But unique means, unique can mean a couple things. Unique can be a good thing. Unique can be a bad thing. How many of you know some unique people in a bad way? And uh, you know some unique people in a good way. And uh, so we're going to talk about some stuff that, that makes us as Christians and makes the church unique. But it should be unique in an attractable, great way. The word unique means only one, special. Rare, one-off, one of his kind, matchless, exceptional. That describes Pastor Jeremy. I'm get, I get all the brownie points I can. Y'all can just be haters all you want. <laughs> I need them. I burn them during the week. Trust me, I need all the help I can get. And uh, <laughs> didn't our praise and worship team do good this morning? It is, it's great when David doesn't have to work. I just enjoy it when he's there. David, you're not allowed to work on Sundays. Come, it's the Sabbath. <laughs> but we love it when he's here. So we're going to talk today about what makes our church and what makes you as a Christian unique. And um, we talked about last week how Jesus came to the earth and he lived among us for 33 years. And then he paid for all of our sins at the cross. He went to Calvary, and he died. And three days later, he was resurrected. And after he was resurrected, he hung around for 40 more days after he was resurrected in his glorious body that he had, his, 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 new, his new body. And he, he, hung, he hung around in his, his glorified body. And um, he, he showed the disciples the holes in his hands and in his side and and, and, and he spends 40 days with these guys walking through walls and having fun. Now, if I could walk through walls, I could have a lot of fun. I'm just, I'm a prankster. I, I like to have fun. And Pastor Jennifer never knows what's, what I'm going to do next, you know. I like to walk by the shower when she's in it, just hit the shower curtain. Ah! She's scream, you know, and just, you know, that's just how I am. And maybe that's too much information. I don't know. But, uh. But Jesus is popping up in rooms, popping up places, and he's having fun for 40 days, getting the disciples ready for about what's, to, what's about to take place. And, and so he, right before he ascends off the Mount of Olives, he, sends them, he tells them to go to Jerusalem and go to this upper room and to wait because something's going to happen. And so they go to Jerusalem. He ascends. They go to Jerusalem. We all know the story. They go to the upper room, and, and the day of Pentecost happens. Now, some people get scared when you say Pentecost. Ooh, Pentecost. You know what Pentecost means? 50 days. 50 days from the time Jesus was ascended. I mean, from the time he died to, to when it happened. 50 days. Not, I'm scary about 50 days. Not scary at all. Anyway, 50 days. So we're talking about scary stuff that people interpret with the church that makes us unique, but because people don't understand it, it, it becomes a stigma and we get labeled as a church and as a people that something about us is different. And a lot of times we, we're mislabeled as Christians. I talked about last week a friend of mine, you know, he took all the labels off of his hands and we come to find out that, you know, he does what he thought was going to happen and it was silly and it was just, they didn't like it. 
And the same thing happens with us as a Christian. Uh, we get to a place where we, there's some people who mislabel us or some people who misrepresent us. And so you, you get a stigma whether you want to tell people you're actually a Christian or not. And so what makes us unique are the things that people really don't understand or comprehend about our faith. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. How can you really, you know, we get a bad rap because we're non-denominational. We're what we call spirit-filled Christians. And the Holy Spirit is actually one-third of the Trinity. And I don't know about you, but I can't just leave one-third out because somebody said it was spooky or it was spooky or it's different. Uh, I don't leave part of God out just because of labels and just because of characteristics. I want all he has to offer. I want all of him. I, I want everything he has to offer. And the Holy Spirit's not, not spooky. Actually, the word, the word spirit we talked about means pneuma. It's just the only translation they found that they thought was proper from Greek to English was, was spirit or ghost. And it's actually a bad translation. In the Greek, pneuma means breath of fresh air. He's the wind in our sails. He, he's the breath of fresh air that speaks to us and, and talks to us and guides us and helps us every single day. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live without the guidance of my Lord. And so, these are things that make us unique. And so, at the end of the day of Pentecost, the, the guys come out, and our theme verse for this series is Acts 2, 12 through 16. It says, the crowd was amazed and perplexed. And they asked one another, what does this mean? But some of them, however, made fun of them and said, well, these guys are just drunk. And then Peter stood up with the leaven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, and he said, fellow Jews, and all of you, you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain something to you. Let me explain something to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is, this is that thing that you've been reading about your whole life. This is that, this is that thing that, 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 that you, you've studied forever, but yet you're going to make fun of it because you don't under, truly understand what you've been reading. You don't truly understand what you've been studying. You don't truly understand what, what, what the prophet Joel was talking about. This, they're not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is exactly what Joel said was going to happen, yet now that it's happened, you don't recognize it. Now that it's happened, you're going to make fun of about it. Now that something unique has changed about the church, and you don't like that uniqueness, you're going to label it, you're going to make fun of it, and you're just going to go upon your way and not have any of it. See, because we talked about last week how religion gets in the way of God. Religion tends to label things. And the last thing I want is a religious spirit. I want a spirit that says, God, I want all of you. I want everything you have to offer. And on this day, in an instant, the, instant, the church becomes unique and fresh in a new way. And it looks totally different. The whole face of the church from what the Jewish people and the Jewish culture know, shifts and transists into something unique and something special 
on this day. And so today we're going to talk about another fact of what makes us unique as Christians and as a church, and that's praise and worship. People ask me questions all the time about what kind of church do you pastor, Pastor? Uh, are you Catholic? Are you Baptist? Are you one of those hand-raising churches? And I said, well, you know, raise your hand if you love God. And they're like, can't do it. <laughs> can't be a hand-raising church. And, uh, you, you know, the, the deal is we raise our hands. It, it's a misconception about why we do it. Uh, you know, uh, police officers know this, what this means. What's this mean? I surrender. And that, that's what it means when we do this and we worship our God. It means I surrender everything to you today, Jesus. I give you everything that I have. And I worship you for who you are. And, and so we go to a hand-raising church, and we love to raise our hands, and we love to praise God. And it's one of the things that makes our church unique. It's one of the things that makes us unique. It's because we want to go into a deeper level with who he is. Now, there was this country boy, and he had a house right next door to this crazy Pentecostal church. He had these two hound dogs. And uh, two hound dogs were laying on the porch, and it's a Sunday evening. Pentecostal church is going crazy, and the hound dogs are looking at each other. One hound dog kind of looks at the church, kind of flips his head over to the other hound dog, and looks at him and says, you know, if we acted that crazy, they'd worm us. So I want to, <laughs> the deal is, you know, they might need to worm me. I don't know, but I'm just crazy about my Jesus. That's all I know. And uh, I want to give you some whys over the next few weeks. I don't want to be told to do something when I don't know why I should do it. Anybody here like to be told to do something you really don't know why you do it? And so last week I gave you some whys with the Holy Spirit. This week I'm going to give you some whys with praise and worship. I want you to walk out of here knowing why we do what we do. And I want to show you in the Bible why we do what we do. Because whys determine your way. Why does worship look like it looks here at Christ? Why does it look the way it looks in the Bible? Uh, I'm going to just give it to you right here. Because God asked for it. That's why. He asked for it. Now I'm going to show you why he asked for it. Some, some, you know, people, it's like, some say, well, you know, I'll do this when I go to church, but I, I don't want to do that. I'll do this, but I, I don't want to do that. And that's exactly what that verse I just read to you is all about. He says, this is that if you're supposed to. This is that, and this is why we do that. It's what makes us unique. It's what makes us different. And so I want to I wanna explain some things to you today because you can say, well, you know, some things in my life, Pastor, I, I get to decide. But I want to put it this way. We don't get to decide these things. We don't. That's God's call. God gets to decide what we do. And believe it or not, Psalms, 
is the largest book in the Bible. There's 150 chapters written about praise and worship. The largest book is written about praise and worship. Why? Because God insists on it. He wants it. And when we decide that we get to choose things in our life instead of Him, we've decided that God is no longer God in our life. That's what happens. When we decide we're going to do things our way, not God's way, or not what He's called us to do, we've, de- we've decided that God is no longer the God of our life. He's just religion on a Sunday morning. Now, don't be mad at me, because I want to explain that why we do the things we do. Psalms 150, 1 through 6. Give you a chance to get there. Just follow with me. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Wait, what did that say? Praise God in his sanctuary. I made it. (laughs) I I want that sanctuary part to, 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 to just sink in. Because I hear people tell me all the time, well, you know, I just, I praise God from home. You know, Pastor, I'm just not, I'm not going to be there that often. You know, my wife and kids, I, I can praise him at home. But, but the Bible says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Now, this ain't the kind of lyre y'all thinking about right now. This one has strings. <laughs> Praise Him with the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and with dancing. Praise Him with the strings and the pipe. Wait, it gets worse. Praise Him. Not the pipe y'all thinking about either. Don't be moving to Denver after this message. Praise Him. They're talking about this kind of pipe. (laughs) You play, you sing. Praise Him with the clash of the cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. You ever hear anybody say, well, you know, it's too loud in that place. What's it say? I don't know, but I just want to get louder in here. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. That means over and over and over again. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And in case you don't get it, it says it again, praise the Lord. It does. It says it twice for people like me. Make sure I got it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise is one of seven Hebrew words in the Bible. Uh, the phrase we're, they're talking about right here actually means hallel. It's where we get hallelujah from. It, it means, they're going to put it on the screen, to shine, hence to make a show, to boast, and thus to be clamorously foolish, to rave and to celebrate. That sounds like NRG Stadium, don't it? On a Sunday afternoon. Or Kyle Field on a Saturday afternoon. That clamorously foolish part. <laughs> I'm joking. But it does. Psalms, the book of Psalms sounds more like a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon than a Sunday morning. It sounds like LSU field when all those tigers begin to roar. It sounds like UT when, when they start playing the, the sound and Bevo goes marching on the field. And we get so excited about it. But how can I be excited about a football team that's really never done nothing for me? 
It's never healed me. It's never set me free. And they've never done nothing for me. But yet I'll come to church and it's loud in there. Why? Because praise is my primary purpose. That's why we sing, worthy is the Lamb. Now, I'm not a singer, but I'll sing it on Sunday mornings over and over again. If you're standing in front of me, I'm sorry, you might want to pick this side of the altar. But worthy is the Lamb, and I'll say it over and over again. Because He is worthy of my praise. He's worthy to be praised. He's great. He's glorious. He saved me. He set me free. He healed me. why we sing see we get messed up and we think church is actually for us it isn't all for us he didn't say go to his sanctuary and praise him for us we come here because we put him first and because we love him and because we want to give back to him and we want to say thank you That's why we show up in the house of God. That's why we make it a priority in our family's life. Say, son, I want to show you something. My daughter, I want to show you something. I want to show you that that on Sunday mornings, there's something that happens in your dad. There's something that changes when I get into the presence of God. There's something that refuels me for my week. Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession is who you are. And notice there's a comma right here because it's about to give you the reason why we're special and why we're his possession. That we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. We're, so, we're supposed to be excited about our God. It witnesses to the people around us. Now, praise is horizontal. We, are, we, we have praise and we have worship. Praise is horizontal. Praise, praise you come in and you're telling everybody around you, uh, this is what God's done for me. Hey, I'm here today. I'm going to celebrate Jesus, celebrate. And I'm looking at my neighbor, celebrate Jesus. That's an old Gary Oliver song. That joker made way too much money off that song. It wasn't that good, didn't even last that long, but everybody bought it and sang it. But it's praise, it's, it's horizontal, it's telling my neighbor, it's telling my neighbor, oh, look what the Lord has done. He healed my body, he touched my mind. He needs to touch my mind. But it does, it does something. You're looking at those around you and you're just saying, this is what God has done for me. Say, well, that turns people off, Pastor, when, when, when you, you sing too loud and you get too excited. No, it does not. It does not. I promise you, I was a teenager and thought I knew everything when I got saved. And, and I went to a church camp, and I saw all these hundreds of teenagers worshiping their God and dancing and jumping and leaping And I said, there's something different about them because I'm way too miserable to jump. I'm way too miserable to leap. I need what they have. 
and it led me to the Lord. There's, there's something about made, making a statement. In fact, Jesus said, if you profess me to your friends, I'll profess you to the Father. And, and so I profess him everywhere I go, especially in my worship. You ever watch, well, I'm going to go this direction. We praise him for who he is. We worship him for who he is. But you ever you ever go somewhere where there's angry people? And people just walk around angry. Anything they say, they hang on every word. They listen to every little word they say. And they can say something that's not even funny. And people are like, ha, 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 yeah, that was funny. You, you, hear them, you hear them do that kind of stuff, and, and they do that, and they cling on their words, and they, they, they think they're just it, and, and they're really praising them for who they are. That's why when I get excited about my Jesus, it's because I know who he is. All throughout the Bible, we praise him just for who he is. In fact, Psalms 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can even, even fathom. That means not one person can even fathom or even have a conception or a thought about who he really is. The goodness that you know is small in comparison to who he really is and to what he can really do. Psalms 48, 1 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, His most holy mountain. Psalms 96, 4 says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all. He is great and worthy. All throughout the Bible, we praise Him for who He is. Next, we praise Him for what He's done. You might say, well, you know, that person on my row at church, Pastor, He's great. You just don't know that lady I sit by. She, I can't get my praise on for staring at what she's doing. It's crazy. I'm telling you, we used to have a guy in Neerland get up there and would break dance on a Sunday morning on the back row. I mean, he used to be a break dancer. He did that pop and lock stuff, and he used to, he used to do it for the world, and he said, if I did it for the world, I'm going to do it for my Jesus. But see, Nobody saw the drugs that God had delivered him from. Nobody saw the, the marriage that, that was healed. Nobody saw what was different about him. All they did was say, something's wrong with him. He's unique. See, because unique is something that we, 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 mis, we misperceive and we label because we don't understand. See, you, you may think, well, that person on my row at church is crazy, but you don't understand where God brought them from. Because if you did, you'd be jumping up and down and going crazy with them. It's just like the woman with Jesus who the religious mocked as she knelt there and she wiped his feet with her hair and worshipped him. See, they didn't understand where she had come from. They didn't have a perception of where she had been in her life and what it felt like to be that dirty and that unclean and what Jesus had truly done for her. 
See, she was unique, but they misjudged her. They mocked her. They didn't understand why she, they said, well, you know, she's just going a little too far. Well, Jesus went a little far for her, so she went a little far for him. Luke 19, 37 through 46. The whole crowd of disciples spoke in the enthusiastic praise over all the mighty works they had witnessed. And listen to what the Pharisees did. Some Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, get these disciples under control. They're out of control. But he said, if they keep quiet, the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. I don't know about you, but I don't want no rock to take my place. Look, the Pharisees said, look, your disciples are just getting a little bit out of control here. They're a little enthusiastic. They're a little bit excited when they're, when they're here today. Can you, can you calm them down, Jesus? And Jesus said, I ain't about to calm them down because I know what God has done for them. And he can do it for you if you quit judging them and quit wondering what's, what's going on in their life. Walls of religion will keep you from the uniqueness that God wants you to reveal. Don't build walls in your life. Do anything and everything it takes to get you to God. Because worship changes everything. As I, I used to drive around travel in a remodeled Walmart car called the Jeep. Drive from town to town back there when I was young, and uh, that's the army Jeep. They all had these unique sounds on them. One day I was I was driving. I forget where in Texas I was. Maybe it was San Antonio. Wasn't a big leap, but man, I was taking that bad loop down by that worship place, and I don't exactly remember where I saw this sign, but it says, "Pardon our noise." Did y'all get that sign? It says, pardon our noise, it's the sound of worship. Pardon my noise, it's the sound of freedom. See, your neighbor might experience some freedom if you let them know. Pardon our noise, it's the sound of freedom. I don't know if you know this, but Air Force bases are gone. But it's the sound of freedom. Worship changes everything. In your darkest days, you need God. I'm giving this to you today because you need this in your arsenal and you need this in your, your toolbox. So the next few minutes, I want you to listen closely. You need these things in your life. When, when I'm having a horrible day and something's going on wrong, five minutes in the presence of God can change everything. I want to tell you what, when that boy was in the hospital and, 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 they, and we're going to a different hospital, in an ambulance, and I'm in my car following the ambulance, and I turn on the worship music, things begin to change. God says, okay, my son, I got this. It's okay, because when you're having a bad day, and you know how to truly get into the presence of God, walls break down. Things begin to change. Everything, everything changes. You'll be in the middle of your day, and things will start off, but you'll have a big problem. And, and, but, and, and you have this perception that you have a small God. But the 
begin to praise and you begin to worship and before long something changes and you realize you have a big God and just a small problem. Because things change when you can get into the presence of God in your life. Psalms 18.3 says, I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. I read your prayer cards every week and I say over them. I'll never forget last Christmas, I went and I mailed them off to my father. And we, we had a clothes drive. I think some of the kids at the clothes drive wrote some stuff down. And, and I was just reading through them. And I read this one, it said, pray for, my, pray for my family. My dad is an alcoholic and he beats my mom. And just, just, just breaks your heart sometimes when you read some of these prayer requests. But the deal is, when you learn how to get into the presence of God, realize you serve a big God and he can take care of all these small things. No matter how big they look, when you realize how big God is, he prepares you for the task. Worship breaks things in your life. My prayer and my hope for you today is that you come in one way to church on a Sunday night and then you leave another. And I want to give you an example that's in Ezekiel 46.9 NLT. It says, but when the people come in through the north gateway to worship the Lord during the religious festival, they must leave by the south gateway. Now, this is different. Listen to this. They, they come in through the north gateway, but they have to leave through the south gateway. And those who enter through the south gateway must leave through the north gateway. They must never leave by the same gateway in which they came, but must always use the opposite God gateway because God is teaching his people a pattern here. And here's the pattern. When, when you come in to the house of God one way, if you'll really worship, you'll really praise, you'll really dig into what's happening, you'll let the word saturate your life, you will leave different than you came. It's, it's a principle that God set from the early stages. And he says, you can come in from the south, but you've got to leave in the north. You can come in on the north, but you've got to leave from the south because something has got to be different after being in the presence of God. When you come into my presence, he says, things change. When you come into my presence, you're not leaving the same way you came. And that's what God wants for you today. Some of y'all might need to go out a different door. Somebody say, I came in the front door, I'm going out the back. I don't care if i got to walk all the way around. Something's changed today. I'm going out a different way. I'm going out by the kids today. I'm going out a different way than I came because I know that God has changed me today. God was teaching them a pattern. Psalms 95 says, we enter into his courts with praise, singing and shouting. This is how they entered, singing and shouting. Just one entrance. They weren't 20th century poets. They came in singing and shouting. Just like I said, praise the Lord God and perform all your commandments forever. But four verses later, things change. It says, let's kneel before the Lord. It becomes intimate. It becomes from a place of praise to a place of worship. You know why we have praise and we have worship? It's very biblical. It's laid out from the foundation that, that God has set in our world. It, it's what we do. We come in, we tell everybody how great we are. We tell our neighbors next to us we love them. And then all of a sudden we enter in and it becomes all about us. 
and we begin to, to worship him and to kneel before him, and we worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23, Jesus says this, but the time is coming indeed is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. God is looking for authentic worshipers. Those who will come in and leave everything behind. They know they're coming in one way and they're leaving a different way. They know that something's going to change because they're getting into the presence of the Almighty. And he's looking for authentic people who will come in. They don't care what their neighbor thinks. They don't think what people think. All they think is what God thinks. And they just start getting their worship on. And they just begin to sing. And walls begin to fall down in their life. And they know that when they walk out of this place, the next week is going to be okay. can't shout to my cowboy to lose every season and not shout to my Jesus that wins every day in my life. Oh, y'all are just clapping because I said something bad about the cowboys. <laughs> Let me give you a couple things that can help you with your worship. Number one, I want you to worship based on choice, not guilt. I don't wait for my favorite song or a mood to hit me before I start praising and worshiping God. I don't wait for those things. I don't look at my week. I don't look at what's happened in my week before I start praising God. Because if I looked at my week, I'd say, oh, Lord, I just blown. It's over. There ain't no way I can concentrate on you. I don't even think about it. I enter in knowing something's going to change. And say, so, well, you don't know what happened this week, Pastor. You don't know what went wrong this week, Pastor. You don't know what my week looked like. I, I've done some bad stuff. You don't know what I, what I did or what I've done. God can't forgive me. Look, God doesn't care about that stuff. Only thing he cares about is you. Look, your picture's still on his refrigerator. It is. God still loves you. He didn't take your picture off the fridge. It's still there. You're still his son. He's still, you're still his daughter. He knew you from when you were in the womb. He still loves you. He still cares for you. So we have to come after him with all of our heart. And back, I'm going to close with this today. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. It says, though the fig tree does not bud. In other words, things have gone wrong. I lost my job. And there are no grapes on the vines. My, my kids aren't, aren't doing what's right. Though the, though the olive crops fail. Oh, I'm not getting no paycheck next week. Though, though the fields produce no food, I'm hungry, God. There are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. There's no future stakes in my, I can't see no future stakes in my life. I don't see no future dairy in my life. I, I can't, I don't even know how I'm going to pay the electric bill this week, Pastor. Though I can't see none of that stuff. It says, yes. I will rejoice in the Lord. It says, I will. Notice this is an act of our will. I will be joyfully, joyful in God, my Savior. It's an act of your will. In fact, 
The next verse says this. It says, he'll make my feet like pine trees. You ever notice the mountain goats? They got, they got these small front legs. They got these giant hind legs, giant hind limbs. And, and they, can, they can climb over the, 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 the most ungodly territory, ungodly rocks. You find them at the top of the mountains where no man even wants to hike. I mean, it's one of the hardest trophies to get as a hunter because, I mean, you have to go up into the tops of the mountains and the ridges and over the rocks that no human wants to travel over to get to them. Because they just, they have these huge hind cords. He said, I'll make your hinds like, I'll make your back feet like hinds feet. There's something about when you get into the mode of worship, he strengthens you. He gets ready, gets you ready to climb over those rocks and those things in your life. Now, I know the ladies are saying, I rebuke you, Pastor. I don't want big hinds. Big hinds feet. But when you, there's something about getting into the worship of God that changes you changes who you are and your makeup it says he makes my feet like hinds feet he gives me the ability to scale the rocky terrain he gives me the ability to go through the bad places in my life he gives me the ability to change the outcome Hebrews 13 15 says though Jesus through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. We must openly profess him over and over and over again. In fact, we see King David traveling, and he needs somewhere to offer sacrifices to worship. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, it says, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice the Lord my God, to my Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. See, worship needs to cost you something. Whether it be you're serving in the nursery worshiping, you're serving in the kids worshiping, you are to leave church on a Sunday morning and say, whew, I'm exhausted. I ain't got no more to give. Or I came in and I worshiped so much today, I just can't wait to go sit down and drink a Coca-Cola. May the Lord give us new restaurants to eat at tired of Mexican food, Father. But you sit down and you just want to relax because you know where you've been today. You know where you've been today. King David said, it's got to cost me something. The guy was going to give him the place to worship and to do his sacrifices for years. But worship becomes invaluable when it doesn't cost you anything. That's why our worship and our giving goes together. Because it needs to cost you something. To worship God. It needs to cost you something so that you can say, God, I know you've paid the price. I'm willing to pay it too. I'm here to reciprocate the love that you've given me. I'm here to reciprocate and give back to you all the goodness that you've bestowed upon me. Real worship has to cost you something. Mark 12, 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. All is talking about you. Number three, worship, expecting God to respond. Now, I brought them up early today because I want to set a mood for worship today. Before we leave today, we're going to worship a little bit. Is that okay? Because I, I feel today he's due our praise. He, he's due my, my worship. 
And we're going to go by altar call. And if you need to leave, that's okay. But we're going to pray just for a minute today. We're going to sing a song together. But worship expecting God to respond. Psalms 22 says, He inhabits the praises of His people. James 4.8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Let me tell you what I'm expecting today. Let, let me tell you what I need from you today. You say, well, Pastor, I ain't got much to get. It's okay. I just want you to take one more step closer to God today. Just one step closer. One step closer. Why? Because he just said in 4.8, James, close to God and he'll come close to you. Everything you're fighting in your life, all the battles you've had going on. You say, well, you don't understand this battle I've been fighting, Pastor. I've been fighting for my kids or I've been fighting for this and I've been fighting for that. Well, this is that. This is what makes us unique. We serve a real God. And as we begin to praise Him, things begin to happen. The closer we get to Him, the closer He gets to us. Let me tell you what, everybody is a worshiper. Lost, saved, everyone is a worshiper. Everyone. Lost people are worshipers. We all give ourselves, our adoration, our love to something. Some of us, we give our love to our calendars. We give our, our love to our football team. We give our, our money to Starbucks because it's our passion to be amped up on coffee. We all give our worship to something. It's really important that you choose what you're going to choose to give your worship to. Because let me, let me close you with this right now. A dynamic happens when we worship. You turn into whatever you worship. There's a dynamic that happens. The worshiper turns into the image of the things you worship. They got something they're going to put on the screen right now. Whatever I worship becomes an obsession. Whatever I'm obsessed with, I become intimate or I imitate. And whatever I imitate, I become. But whatever you're worshiping, you become. Everybody bow your heads real quick. here today, I want you to take an inventory of what you're, what, who you're worshiping. Somebody here today might say, well, pastor, I don't like who I'm becoming. Well, you might need to take an inventory of who you're worshiping because what you worship is who you become. You might need to look at your time, your money, your calendars, your passion. Now, God wants you to have all those things, but he just wants to be first. All these things are okay. If you feel far from God today, I want to pray with you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You, if you would say, Pastor, that's me today. I'm not afraid what anybody thinks. I can lift my hands at a football game. I can lift my hands on Sunday morning to say that I need Jesus to help me in my life today. If that's you, maybe you've looked at your life, maybe with your eyes closed, you've said, Pastor, I've been worshiping the wrong thing. You need God to do something fresh in your life. Would you raise your hand in this place right now? Anybody in here need God to touch them in a fresh and a new way? I want you to pray with me. Father, I know what I've been worshiping is wrong. I want to give all my worship to the true and living God. Today, Father, I give everything to you, all my problems, all my weaknesses, all my desires, Father. I put them all in your hand. 